0: Hello, adoptees, friends and family of adoptees. Welcome to The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. I want to thank all of you listeners out there for being so patient with me as I kind of navigate my way through this fun and exciting world along with you. Uh, Listen, I got a great show lined up for you today. Today, my guest is Kelsey Macklin, a very special guest because she is a Chinese adoptee currently living in Beijing, China. Yes, I have somebody living over there in China. It's never been done before on the show, and I'm very excited. So you have a lot to hear about her awesome experience living over there for the past two and a half years, so you have that to look forward to. What else? What else? This week is Thanksgiving. Isn't that awesome? It's Thanksgiving here in America. If you're in America, it is finally American Thanksgiving, and uh, I know that a lot of people out there are kind of struggling. They're still struggling. It's been a, It's been a long week and a half since the election. and beyond that, it's been a long year and a half of uh, election season, unfortunately. So I know a lot of people are shocked out there about the results still and they're getting over it. but listen, you, you, know, you know, one of the good ways to to really harness the positive vibes is is spending time with friends and family, good good, solid family and friend time and just share the love and really think to yourselves and, and share with each other what you're thankful for, and that might be the fact that you have friends and family to to share that with. I actually think that's incredibly important. Uh, Have you guys been watching the show, This Is Us? Have you been watching it? I uh, did not want to like this show, I'm going to be honest. It it seemed... From the advertisements early on before uh, the first episode aired to be a little bit saccharine, a little bit too much of a dramedy for me. I'm not usually the kind of guy who would watch a show like This Is Us based on the advertisements that were out there. But uh, I took the chance. My, My wife convinced me to start watching it with her. And I actually really love this show. I hate to admit it. I hate to admit the fact that I like this show so much, but I really like it a lot. And it may have to do with the fact that they try to tackle the adoption issue uh, with this transracial adoptee who grows up to be a man and finds his birth father, actually his biological father, uh, in New York. So that is an incredibly interesting storyline and the dynamics at play uh, that are given to the adoptee narrative in that story are surprisingly adept. I was shocked to find out that they don't just pay lip service to the adoptee issue and the adoption issues surrounding that, but it's a it's an actual main storyline in the show, and I appreciate that. And it seems like, I don't know who the writers are, what kind of experience they have with adoption, but it seems like it's not taken with a grain of salt, this storyline. The guy is given a voice, a real voice, and uh, I highly recommend it. I, I'll talk a little bit more about it afterwards. After this interview, but uh, you guys should definitely check it out and enjoy this conversation with Kelsey Macklin. Enjoy. Excellent. Excellent. So you said it snowed in Beijing?
1: It did, yes. How long have you been in
0: Beijing now?
1: I've been here for about two and a half years.
0: Oh, wow. That's a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, thought I would just come out for about a year, um, come back to the States. And then one year stretched into two and now I'm into my
0: third year. So. <laughs> That's awesome though. That's really awesome. So you've been there for two and a half years now. Like, What are you doing out there?
1: that's a great question I ask myself that all the
0: time (laughs) I mean that Um, like a derogatory way it's just like one year turns into two years and now coming up on three years there must be something that's keeping you there that you like about Beijing yeah
1: yeah yeah um so I first came out for for a job with a uh, non-nonprofit and Mm -hmm. they were doing work in domestic foster care and so I thought that was like really cool work I've Always been interested in adoption, international adoption, um, and so wanted to do something like seeing what was going on in the ground level in, in China. Um, and so it was a really cool opportunity, so I came out for that. And then after a year, found a job with an education consulting company. Um, there's a huge market for Chinese high school students who want to study in the U.S. And so that just seemed like a really cool opportunity professionally. Um, I just felt like I wasn't quite done in China, so I decided to take that on and and um, it's been a very different experience going from the nonprofit to the for profit
0: world. Yeah. Um, but
1: definitely learned a lot.
0: And you're still doing that then?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm still in my contract for that. But i um, trying to transition out of Beijing sometime next year. I'm applying to grad school right now. So pretty stoked about that.
0: Awesome. Well, why don't we rewind a little bit and uh, (laughs) find out where you kind of grew up? And uh, so, wait, were you born in and around Beijing, or or which part of China were you born in?
1: Yeah. No. So I was actually born in southern China, um, and so in the Hunan province. And then I um, was adopted into California. um, So spent my growing up years there. um, Went to school in the Bay Area, and. Then, yeah, i traveled to China off and on throughout college, did, like, a study abroad, short-term, like, mission trip, um, a short-term internship, but then didn't, like, officially move here um, until 2014.
0: Awesome. Well, how was it growing up in the Bay Area? I'm actually trying to get out there maybe next year, move to, like, the Monterey, Santa Cruz area.
1: <laughs> yeah, really?
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm waiting to hear back about some another grad school thing so maybe get a second master's degree out there and try out the west coast for a while but (laughs) but we're not here to talk about me we're here to talk about you so the west coast i mean the bay area is pretty diverse and there's a high amount of asian population and influence in the area um did you were you exposed to a lot of that while you were living there
1: Yeah, um, so I actually, I grew up outside of Sacramento, so it's about two hours from the Bay Area. Okay, yeah. Um, And I know, I get that a lot. Yeah, California has lots of Asians, so much diversity, all true things, but I actually didn't know that until I got to college. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so growing up, I was like a very homogenous kind of like suburbs of Sacramento. Um, And even Sacramento is fairly diverse, but um, but my kind of small community, very Christian, It was also very white, Mm -hmm. Um, so I I didn't really meet like Asian Americans until I got to, excuse me, till I got to college, Um, and it was just kind of like this huge culture shock of, oh my gosh, all these people that look like me, but I have like no idea like what to
0: do with them. Mm. And uh, so I'm a little bit ignorant on the process and everything. How does the uh, Chinese adoption system kind of work? Uh, I've only had a couple of Chinese adoptees on the show so far. I mean, is there like a main agency like Holt or something like that that everybody goes through or kind of what's the uh, what's the process over there?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's a main agency in China called, um, I think it's CCWCCIA, um, and that's the main provider that kind of works with all the orphanages and help to place children into adoptive families. Um, but then throughout the U.S. and, you know, Chinese adoptees are also in the UK, all over. Um, there's just individual, like private um, adoption agencies that families can go through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah.
0: And so, were you adopted through CCIA?
1: So, I was adopted quite early on when China was just kind of opening up um, mm-hmm. to international adoptions. It's back in 1992, and it was kind of right around when they're trying to formalize the process. So, I. I don't even really know how I got to be in America. My parents traveled with, like, a a group from the Netherlands, and they were, like, the only American couple. And then, like, last minute, there was, like, some baby switching. And so all of a sudden, I, like, was in this... It just... It's a, I was going to go to the Netherlands at first, and then I, I ended up with this California couple. Um, so I'm not exactly sure the agency in the U, in China that I came through, but um in, in the US, it was like a small Christian adoption agency. Mm. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. You ever think about that? Like what it would be like if you grew up in the Netherlands, like how different things would be? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dude, yeah. All the, Not not all the time. Sometimes. Um, there's this little girl that I was also adopted with, um, yeah. and she grew up in the Netherlands and so we like used to be pen pals when we were little. Oh. Like like fairly good, a little bit broken and then she would like write and um gosh, what language do they Dutch? Dutch yes, yeah. in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um and so she would send me pictures and I would send her pictures and we kind of kept a little bit of a pen pal and so I was thinking, wow, if I like grew up there I'd be speaking Dutch. It's just
0: Yeah, crazy. that's true. <laughs> do you guys still keep in touch at all?
1: No, we don't. We're Facebook friends, um, but we don't really we don't really chat anymore. Oh you know?
0: yeah, so it's more like happy birthday messages, exactly <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. yeah, what's she doing now?
1: <laughs> I think she's like modeling or
0: something.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of random. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, and so you grew up. You said you you outside of Sacramento. It's kind of like white suburban. Christian household and upbringing, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
0: And then did your parents, like, was there an adoption community in your area that they would be active in? Or was it more kind of assimilation, just you're our kid thing?
1: Yeah, definitely the second one. A lot of assimilation. Um, There was one other. So I went to this private Christian school from like K through 8th. And there's this other little girl who was also adopted from China. And she was the only other Asian in our school. Mm-hmm. Um, She's like about five years younger. And, um, and she was like the only adoptee that I knew um, growing up. And yeah, I-, I think there were groups. I mean, I know that there's I think a F- uh, families with children from China group in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, our family just never really was too involved in adoptee or adoption organizations.
0: Okay. So, yeah. well, so five years is a pretty big gap between you and this other girl. I mean, I'm sure you guys probably weren't like best friends and stuff. If she's younger, you're probably like doing your own thing pretty much, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's the same age as my younger brother. So I was kind of like, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to interact here. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, well, that's a good question. How many siblings do you have? Is it just you and your younger brother?
1: Mm -hmm. yep just me and him he's uh he's my parents biological um so i'm the only asian in our family and extended family
0: Mm -hmm. so what's your relationship with him like how was it growing up and then kind of how is it now
1: yeah um yeah i get that that's a great question i think it's so interesting how some families will choose to have maybe like their biological children first and then adopt and then other families do it the other way around you just kind of get these mixed families (laughs) um i think for me and him there's a yeah, we're very different personalities, and so maybe there's quite a bit of competition. I think growing up, and maybe a little bit of jealousy. Um, mm. I was the super like, like A personality, bossy older sister, very like straight A's, and just did everything right. <laughs> and then he was a <laughs> more like rebellious, pushed the envelope, trying, you know, trying to like test things out a little bit more. Mm. Um, and so I think that created some conflict between the two of us. Um, But I think as we've gotten older, you know, we've kind of mellowed out a little bit more, kind of similar um, life stages. It's definitely helped, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I feel that. I I don't know, like, how much of a difference or how much uh, adoption kind of plays into those kinds of things. I mean, my sister and I have very different personalities as well. And she's two years younger and as kids, we did not get along at all. She like we were fighting <laughs> literally all the time. <laughs> and then there was like a period of years while we were both in college that like we basically like didn't really talk to each other. We'd see each other during the holidays at family get-togethers, but that was kind of it. And I think now, actually, that we're a little bit older, is we're we're I think we're closer than we've actually ever been. Mm. It's so funny because I think I don't know if our personalities have both mellowed, but I was kind of the same way I was uh very a type personality very outgoing and stuff like that and she used to actually be very shy and introverted i feel like i don't know how this happened but somehow that changed in her (laughs) and now she's a lot more extroverted and she's got like this funny weird sense of humor that i like never saw before (laughs) i don't know when she developed that but she's like a total weirdo now which i really appreciate (laughs) nice
1: but, is she also adopted?
0: Yeah, so she's also adopted from Korea. Yeah, not biologically related, but uh, she's two years younger, adopted from Seoul. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, um, I don't know how much exposure to Western media you get out there as far as like contemporary TV shows like that are on right now, but there's a new show on NBC called This Is Us. Have you heard about this one?
1: I've seen something. In the, I've heard it's really popular. I don't know what it is.
0: So I I guess it's pretty popular. I'm not sure what the ratings are uh, because I watch it on Hulu, but it's a surprisingly good show. Like I hate to admit that I like it because it's like a very saccharine, like family friendly dramedy. Yeah, it's on NBC, and I'm like ah, like I like I don't want to like it, but I end up (laughs) loving every episode. (laughs) And the only reason I bring this up is because they actually have a storyline. Uh, it's about one family and mostly about these siblings. And the one storyline, it kind of jumps back and forth in time. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched This Is Us. Um, but it's about these parents in the 70s raising their kids who are now adults and they kind of jump back and forth. And one of the kids that they're raising uh, is a transracial adoptee. They they adopt this uh, black kid domestically. And kind of like the family dynamics that go along with that, which are very interesting. And like uh, the last episode that was on was kind of about the two brothers, um, the adoptive brother and the biological brother, like kind of growing up and having to share the same room and not getting along and having personality clashes. And the biological son actually feeling jealous that like the mom had to pay all this attention to him to make him feel included in the family and all this other stuff. And actually – interviewed somebody else just recently who kind of said the same thing about her biological son and her adoptive son and the biological son being kind of jealous that he didn't get as much attention paid to him or different kinds of attention paid to him.
1: Interesting.
0: Did you have any of that kind of dynamic in your family at all? Did you feel that? Or is this like a made up Hollywood storyline that I can only justify (laughs) anecdotally with this one person?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Um, I never really thought about that. I guess the idea of like our our parents spending more time with me to make me feel more adjusted or a little bit more like adapted into the family versus my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd always felt it was almost the other way around because I I seem to adapt so well. Um, that like oh Kelsey's fine, she's no problem, she's doing great in school, she's got lots of friends. Tyler, on the other hand, is like not doing well in school and has all these issues. And so I think for specifically for my family, it's a little bit the other way around. Mm. um, which is uh but i i it totally makes sense though that <clears throat> maybe you know maybe it has to do a little bit with birth order, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. um like have to spend extra time or if a child comes in with maybe a little bit more of a traumatic situation and needs that extra um extra attention, yeah,
0: yeah, well, what was the kind of family dynamic surrounding you as the only adoptee in the family and having a biological brother,
1: yeah, um. I don't think, yeah, my, my family, my parents never really made a big deal out of it. You know, every year we would celebrate my adoption day and yeah, I think my brother would get jealous and I'd kind of have like two birthdays almost, <laughs> it. Um, which, which makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, we, we talked about China here and there and I always thought that we would maybe come back together as a family someday and visit my orphanage. I was always kind of a dream that I thought that we would do together mm. um, and, you know, my parents or my extended family would talk about China and send me articles about it. And, um, but again, yeah, I don't think it was until I got to like high school or college that I would start looking at our family pictures and just be like, wow, I just look so different. <laughs> and, like I always knew I looked different, but it just, it just became so much more and more clear looking at like, um, pictures of like my like class classmates and I, um, so, yeah, and it's been interesting. I think it's been hard on them, like me being in China. they've been very supportive, which I'm really thankful for. Um, but I also I don't think they fully understand like why this was so important to me mm. um, to them. maybe it was like oh, Kelsey just you know wants to kind of go discover her cultural roots, and that's cool. Um, but but I think it was more than just like wanting to kind of connect with some kind of like Chinese identity. But kind of like wanting to really understand like, gosh, like, where do I come from? Like, what is this country called China? There's all of these like positive things, but also negative things. And like Mm. people don't really understand it. And people make these huge generalizations. It's this massive country. And we try to like throw like specific adjectives onto it. Um, and you know, and I, I thought it would be cool if they would come visit me here and that hasn't happened yet either And that's okay, you know, they don't have to Um but I guess I I wish that they had shown maybe a little bit more more interest something Yeah, that me to me, you
0: know, no, definitely and uh, you know getting uh, my parents came out to Korea while I was living there once with my sister and mm. I know that was like uh I was probably about your age and um it was pretty hard for them to make that long flight. And I was just like, well, I'm glad that they did it now because if it was like, you know, how old I am now, like 10 years later or whatever, that they were trying to make that flight out there. I'm not sure how, the, how well that would go. So I could understand you're mm. in them not making it out now. Cause they're like, when's, when's the next time that you're going to be living in China and they have the opportunity to visit?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Have you ever, have, has, have they shown any interest at all in it or have you put it out on the table and it's just like, what like what's their excuse basically for not coming out there if they have one
1: <laughs> um it's usually financial yeah uh, and i've offered to help them kind of with the expenses and um you know housing them here and stuff and exactly it's it's kind of like what you're saying too it's like i don't think i'm going to have another period of my life where i spend such a long period of time here in china um and it just seems to make so much sense um but you know, I, I get it for them. It's like China's so foreign. And, and they'll kind of come back with like, well, we went to China when we went to go adopt you. And I was like, yeah, that, that was like 25 years ago. That was, that was a long time. China has changed. And part change? of me, it's like, I want, them, I want them to see how it's changed. And just to see like, how amazing and like, it's not, I feel like sometimes they still have in their mind, China's like a developing third world country. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, China's like a superpower. Like, yeah. there's a lot to be proud of.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, and the idea of Korea, I I feel like is very similar. a lot of people that aren't exposed to those cultures just kind of assume that they're still developing countries and they're actually like first world countries. And, you know, there are, of course, parts that are a little bit more rural or, you know, what may be comparable to developing, but not really. Uh, But you could say the same thing about the United States. I mean, there are plenty of parts of the United States that I've seen that I'm like, oh, this is like – same level as developing to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, but,
0: you know, America is a first world country just like, you know, China and Korea are. Mm. So it sounds like you were kind of aching for that exposure to Chinese culture and rediscovering the Chinese culture and heritage that you have that maybe they don't understand being, you know, white Americans. Um, but I, I'm guessing that you weren't exposed to much of that uh, while you were growing up in the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, no, not not so much. Um, I think that I, I was so confused growing up. <laughs> um, I I think that it's like I I had China in my mind It's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go visit there someday. I want to go back. I'm so excited. Um, and then and then I get to college and I meet these Asian Americans, Chinese Americans, Koreans, etc. And then realize like they have no desire, or some of them have no desire to ever go to China or go to Korea. Mm-hmm. And they very much have this like defined Asian American culture. And I was like, oh oh my gosh, like, this is so different than what I think about China. But at the same time, like, I feel like we should somewhat agree on something. Um, and so, I don't know, I feel like there's, I, I've been kind of working through this kind of, like, I don't know if separation is the right word but kind of like there, there's different identities between like the strong Chinese identity and the strong like Asian American identity mm-hmm. and I'm not quite sure where you draw if there's a line to draw between that um I, I don't know what do you I mean you spent time in Korea and you're also you seem like a fairly strong Korean American identity
0: <laughs> I guess so uh yeah I don't know I I think it's tough, and you know you could. Uh, everybody has got different experiences, right? I actually there was a great article uh, from this tech website, The Verge, this week that came out. I guess it should say last week, um, by a Korean American who's living out in Brooklyn, and she was born in Korea, and her family immigrated to the U.S. to like raise her and give her educational opportunities. But while she was in college, they moved back to Korea with the expectation that when she was done with college, she would have she would move back as well. And kind of bring that American Mm -hmm. education to Korea with her. And she had like no desire basically to go back to Korea. She felt like no connection with it. But she went to appease her parents for like a year or something like that. And basically felt like totally out of place. And that she wasn't really like Korean. But she also didn't feel like totally American either. Because she was born in Korea. And her family kind of had this expectation that she would move back. And so I, I felt very, very... Uh, close to that article and uh, in, in what she shared because uh, living in Korea I kind of felt the same way like I, I lived in America grow, grew up my whole life there right and I felt like an American for a lot but always you know you have to deal with racism you have to deal with all this mm-hmm. other kind of crap that comes with America <laughs> um, which is now making a glorious resurgence um, so you have to look forward <laughs> to when you return. Uh, like, you know, you go to Korea and it's such a homogenous society that they also are like, oh, you're Korean doesn't sound right. Like, you, you're not from here. And uh, it's like, they're like, oh, you're not. So you're not Korean. It's like, well, I was born here, but, you know, I was raised in America. They're like, oh, you're American then. Hmm. So it's like they also kind of reject the fact that you're like not one of them and until you say like you're adopted. Cause there's this like whole national shame about adoption in Korea since the like 88 Olympics. Hmm. Um, so now they're like, it's, it's not like they're accepting of you, but it's more like a, like a pity kind of thing. And that doesn't make you feel great either. <laughs> Cause you're like, I don't want your pity. I I want you to accept me as a human being, kind of the same thing in America. So i I feel like personally me, I have uh just felt very strongly about like I am who I am. I'm not like a Korean or I'm not like American, like I'm just me. you know, I'm not gonna defined by a nationality or a like DNA culture. um I'm not sure like what what are your experiences in China? What have they been like?
1: Sure, um, did you mean my experiences like um Chinese people knowing I'm adopted, or
0: well, yeah, kind of the comparison between growing up in America and your identity with uh American culture and being an American and then bringing that over to China, and then how has that altered like the vision of your identity?
1: oh man, that's a really good question <laughs> um gosh, um. Yeah, I I like what you said about not being tied to a specific nationality, a specific ethnicity, not being defined by your DNA. Um, And and I definitely think that that's very true, you know, especially with the idea that like everyone has such a unique story, you can't categorize it. But at the same time, like, I I feel like there's some kind of community that's built when you're able to identify with a group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not quite sure yet, I guess, how I identify. I mean, there are certain elements of my. Um, personality, where it's like I like to hang out with you know other adult international adoptees here in Beijing, and there's a lot of stories we can share that feel very validating. Um, and but then I also really appreciate like the strong Asian American community, and it's been interesting. I think I've learned a lot more about Asian American culture being out here and realizing that like yeah, I'm neither like seen as a white foreigner, but I'm not your local typical Chinese. And so there's mm-hmm. gotta be a term or a label for someone in between. And so I've kind of you know taken on the term Asian American and used that. Um, but I think that it, it's, I don't know, it's very fluid. Like, I don't ever, I don't think I ever, like, I guess you don't want to box yourself in. And so I kind of move between the different identities, kind of depending on the experience or the people that I'm around. Um, I do find it kind of, of difficult, I think. Um, like you are saying, right, you, you deal with uh, things and kind of your birth country where you feel like it shouldn't happen but then it does and then it's you can't really talk to people about it because you're i don't know if you had other korean american friends but all of my friends here in beijing are like white foreigners and so they get treated so differently than i do mm-hmm. and it's like i try to share these experiences with them and it just doesn't like they can't compute that and i think right. that, that can feel a little isolating at times too yeah.
0: yeah no definitely well you had mentioned that you had a uh an adoptee community over there in beijing i know korea has a very robust uh, korean adoptee community that that lives there and everybody that visits there's a, definitely a welcoming presence there's like an ever-present organization and community in seoul in the around the country that people can kind of uh, hop into and out of uh, how big is it in china and like how active is the population there
1: Uh, Yeah, not nearly as big, not nearly as active. Um, I I use the term adoption community very loosely. There's like five or six of us. Yeah, so there's about five or six of us living here. um, And so we kind of, have you ever heard of WeChat?
0: Yeah, yep. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that's huge in China. Um, so we have a couple WeChat groups, and so we try to do like things maybe like once or twice a month and then invite anyone into the WeChat group who's maybe traveled through on study abroad or is going to come on a short-term trip so that if they're in the same place and we're going to do something, that they're more than welcome to come. Um, so it's been a little bit hit and miss, you know, there's, it's not strictly Chinese adoptees. We have like a, like a Korean adoptee, which is cool. Um, an Indian American adoptee and then like a domestic Chinese adoptee. Cool. Um, and then a couple of, you know, other Chinese Americans. Um, so it's a neat community. It's neat to talk to them about our experiences. Um, but at the same time, it's a little bit tricky cause it's like, it's the only thing we have in common. We're so different. Um, <laughs> but, but the fact that we're adopted, um, but, but it's neat to see that we're kind of trying to grow and trying to get uh, build a little bit more of a network.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting that it's like so multicultural over there because I feel like in Korea is specifically and mostly only uh, Korean adoptees who live and work and come and visit Korea. Like it's not nearly as robust as what you just described there. Like, I can't remember <laughs> and maybe that's changed since I moved away, but I don't remember there being any Indian adoptees or Chinese adoptees that came to visit <laughs> or live yeah, there. Yeah.
1: I, it's pretty cool. I think it's it just goes to show the fact that there's like so much to do in Beijing. Like there's so much opportunity for like young professionals and as a foreigner, it's quite uh, not easy to get a job, but there's a, there's just a high demand for it. And so there's just mm. a wide variety of people, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's, so Korea and China are, are obviously much different countries with very different governmental structures uh, and a much different relationship with adoption and the adopted community. What has it mm-hmm. been like over there in China with regards to how the Chinese view adoption? What are your interactions with uh, the Chinese people been uh, when you kind of say that you're, you've been adopted and you grew up in America?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that there is... I don't think, you know, it's kind of going back to what you're saying, like this idea that South Korea, there's a lot of kind of shame around the Olympics and wanting to kind of pretend that wasn't a part of the history. I don't think there's necessarily those emotions associated with China. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of unawareness. I've met, you know, maybe half the people I talk to, like, don't realize that, you know, Chinese babies have been adopted to the U.S. or that orphanages are, that there's so many of them. And maybe it's like an urban-rural kind of divide there. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the other half of people that I talk to, you know, they – and it's ironic, they'll just be like, oh, wow, like, you're so lucky, like, you went to America, you have, like, a college degree from the U.S., you speak English so well, um, you have all these opportunities that we want for our children, but then the irony of it is, well, I only got them because I, uh, like, yeah, I was in an orphanage, like, I don't know if you want that for your kids either, Um so I, it's been a little bit of a mix. I think, you know, generally most of the time I hear too like, oh, you know, even though you grew up in the States, like we still think of you as Chinese. You're still one of us. um, And so I appreciate that sentiment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like they're very accepting of you. I'm not sure how they accept it. Do you, do you think that's representative of how they accept the community at large?
1: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's mixed. I've talked to other adoptees who've kind of come through and traveled, and some of them have been kind of here for different reasons, you know, visiting their uh, their orphanages or on study abroad. And um, I think it's 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 a mixed bag. Kind of, I think depends on who you talk to. Um, mm. But I think overall, for me, it's been a fairly positive experience. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I know this is a a, sen- a kind of a sensitive subject, but what have you had any interactions or? anything with the Chinese government with regards to adoption?
1: I haven't. No, I haven't really done anything in that field. Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, do they even have anything set up for that? I mean, I know it kind of in the Korean government, it falls under the ministry of health and welfare, I believe. Um, is there, do you know of any kind of government organization for, uh, like adoptees that they could contact with the Korean or Chinese government or their organizations (laughs) or nonprofits over there that they work through?
1: Um, I know a couple years ago they had like a group or where the um, Chinese government funded a group of adoptees to come back and do kind of this homeland tour and Mm -hmm. one of my friends was part of that that was really cool. Was lots of pictures. I think it was kind of publicity media related. Um, sure. But in terms of like a, like a one general like contact person, there's not really anything quite set up. I mean, there's a lot of small like nonprofits. There's obviously adoption agencies that, you know, adoptees can go through and do like heritage trips. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing that kind of connects at all. It's very, um, I don't know, like spread out and uneven, I think.
0: Yeah, that's. So yeah, I, I kind of even thought about that angle before with the adoption agencies over there, but kind of what, what are their take on post-adoption services in-country for adoptees that are now starting to return to China? Because you're kind of the next generation of adoptees, and uh, it's obviously a very different situation than Korea. So I mean, do you, are there any adoptees over there even thinking about starting an organization or is it kind of restricted to WeChat? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I for post adoption services, I feel like there's um obviously you can go do homeland tours, but there's nothing that's like there's been no like formal I feel like uh, invitation, I guess, um from like the government or from any kind of larger organization. Um you know, obviously CCIA, the adoption agency here in China, like they have files on record and so you know, it's it's a little bit like unorganized but you can contact them and try to get a look at your file and that's really you know interesting for some adoptees and um, but then some of the they don't have all of it's just it's really disorganized Um, I feel that like it would be really cool to kind of set up something eventually and you know I'm a part of China's Children International and I think that's a great organization I know they're primarily based in the US but to almost like start a chapter of that located in Beijing and have some kind of like contact person or a contact group. So that for adoptees who are traveling through, I think a lot of them choose to come back to China in college, either on like some kind of a study abroad, um, if they haven't already been on like a heritage tour with their families. And and I think both of those experiences are incredibly different. Um, yeah. And then also, they are so different from like, <clears throat> being a young, being professional in China, and I and I feel like in some ways it's like I would want adoptees to have that experience more so than just a short-term trip, um, because it, it just gets so commercialized, and it's like no, like there's so much more to China than maybe these like highlight you know reels that you get on like a ten-day trip.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, you're on your way out. It sounds like, but maybe you guys <laughs> should start a a CCI out there, <laughs> a little little chapter yeah. out there. Uh. Because I have a okay, feeling so, that they're, yeah. you know, the, more, the older that the generation of Chinese adoptees kind of get, the more there will be people who are going there professionally or who want to rediscover their roots and uh, maybe work there for an extended period of time. And it'd be cool if uh, there was an organization or somebody that kind of laid the groundwork for that to be like, oh, yeah, this is the easy way of doing things or this is who you contact at the respective agencies to get a look at your file and those kinds of things.
1: Huh? So, kind of like a handbook. Sorry. Kind of like a handbook, or like a manual, or
0: yeah, <laughs> or just somebody like people that can like liaise and help others out uh, when adoptees kind of come out there and are you're like, oh, this is a a place you could stay, or this is a place you can go get a job, like decent for a decent wage and it's fairly easy for English speakers to go get.
1: Is that set up in in Korea? Like, there's like a like adoptee liaisons.
0: Uh, so like there are certain organizations such as Incas or Gold that, um, they're not going to necessarily help you get a job or whatever, but they'll help you with visa work. They'll help you, um, kind of liaise with the different agencies to say, like coordinate visits or different trips, or this is who you contact to get a look at your birth file, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Hmm. <laughs> huh, that's really helpful.
0: I know. Well, what has your personal experience been with that kind of stuff? Have you done uh, like a? Have you gone to the agency or wherever to try to look at your file or anything?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, so I, I went uh, kind of in the beginning of my time here in China. I went down and visited my orphanage. Um, uh, yeah. And again, since I was adopted so early, I don't have like uh, documents necessarily here in Beijing. And so I, I got to see them when I was at the orphanage in, in Hunan. And that was really cool. Um, and then I went like about a year ago with another adoptee who was so crazy. We like randomly met online through Facebook and then realized we were adopted from the same orphanage and oh, grew up, wow. like, an hour apart from each other. And then she was planning to come to China. I was like, yeah, you should come. Let's go visit our orphanage. And, and so, in a sense, it's like I got to take her back to our orphanage and kind of, I guess, act as a little bit of a liaison and, like, helped her navigate, you know, the trains and the buses and et cetera to get out there and contacted the, like – uh director and like we got to stay for the day and, and that was just such a cool experience to go with her and to kind of see it through her eyes and um, and I guess maybe that's kind of what you're talking about like being able to be that link for, for other adopters but it's also tricky because it's like it's emotionally exhausting like to yeah. kind of go through experiences like that and it's like I was so happy for her and like in a lot of ways it's like I got to talk to her about stuff and she got to talk to me in return about stuff that like no one else would understand right and like mm-hmm. that was such a cool experience um, but it's I don't know, I don't know how you like what's I don't know scale that or like make it where you have like a greater impact I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, if there was like an organization of more than the 5 WeChat group that you have out there, <laughs> maybe I don't know, <laughs> yeah. the more people kind of go over there like you should be like, "Oh, here are the tips and tricks on how to navigate China and Beijing fairly easily if you need to go." Cuz also, you know, China's such a geographically vast country. It's much easier in Korea where it's like a very limited in scope geography. <laughs> this The <laughs> area of China is so huge. I'm sure there are adoptees from all over the place, but maybe kind of focus the efforts in like, I don't know if there are like hotbeds of places where people were adopted from. Um, it sounds like, you know, the cities like Shanghai and Beijing and Guangzhou are kind of the places that I hear most often, but I don't know uh, kind of what the demographics are of where the Chinese adoptees were were from.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think definitely that those are kind of like the main touching points people fly into. Um, and you're right, China is so huge that there's like so many cities that, that different adoptees are from. And and I think part of it too is like we're probably just, I'm just a little bit ahead of the curve and they're just a little bit young and in high school and in college. And I'm sure in the next year or two or a couple of years that there'll be more will be, yeah, a greater number um, coming out, and I, I had wanted to do something more while I was here, and, um, you know, I had done a lot of efforts trying to get connected with, like, adoption agencies and different nonprofits and trying to make some kind of a connection, but there's just not a huge, um, I guess, need for it quite yet, mm. um, and so, I don't know, maybe in the future, something else will kind of develop, and it'll come a little bit more organically, um, but, yeah.
0: Well, let's go back for you a little bit, and kind of discover how you kind of made the decision to move out to China? Like what was kind of driving that?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, gosh, why? Yeah, I I don't know. I I feel like, and I, I know that, you know, every adoptee is different. Some do want to come back. Some have no desire of coming back. Um, but I think for me, just growing up ever – I always just like had some kind of China was this magical kind of fantastical land that I had come from and that I wanted to see for myself and to better understand. And, um, you know you you read articles or you watch documentaries about China but just to be able to experience it for for myself was something that like I just had always wanted to do and especially um, and, and I know not all adopters feel this way but I always wanted to do something to kind of give back I guess mm-hmm. um, kind of this feeling that, like oh my gosh like out of the thousands of orphans like I was adopted and I have all these opportunities and I should do something meaningful and something that um, that's worthwhile with that time. And and so I first came out like to do some volunteer work in like uh, special needs orphanages. And that was really, yeah, really rewarding and really incredible and kind of gave me new insight to like the pre adoption kind of status. Um, And so that was but I think it was also challenging because I realized that like, yeah, like, yeah, there's all these kids in need, um, but not like trying to just find a family for them isn't necessarily going to be the end all be all. Um, You know, yeah, I was adopted and I love my family and they're great. But at the same time, it's not like all of a sudden all of those problems are resolved and then you can kind of move on to the next child. And so I think my attention kind of, or sh- my focus shifted from like wanting to help orphans find families to like well what does it mean now for like an adoptee um, to like have like a strong ice- idea of like self-identity mm-hmm. um, and so that's been kind of the reason I think why I've stayed in China is I've shifted kind of gears a little bit and trying to find my own kind of center of like what is this strong identity and like being Chinese being proud of where I come from but then also being proud that I am American um, yeah yeah, and so then that leads into grad school. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be applying for like a, like a Master's of Social Works. I really want to get kind of involved in the adoptee community in the States and trying to do like education, mentoring, advocacy, I think would be really cool. Um, and and I, it's interesting as I've been listening to your your podcast, it's uh, interesting to hear like a lot of adoptees kind of tend to go somewhat in the social services for a little bit or maybe they kind of go somewhere else. But seems to be a little bit of a theme there.
0: Yeah, especially lately, I feel like there are... A lot of adoptees out there, um, kind of working on their MSW or yes. you know psychology degree, etc., et etc. Cetera, et cetera. And a lot of them have to do with you know adoption-related issues or being an adoptee, which I think is great. it's fantastic, because it's so hard to find, I think, uh, psychologists and social workers out there who have first-hand experience in it and then can become experts in it as well for the rest of the community. So I applaud your efforts and your continual pursuit of a professional degree in that. Were you also was that kind of your undergrad work too?
1: No, yeah, I was. Uh, I was an Asian studies major. So
0: where'd you go? To yeah, school? it's a little bit
1: different. Um, I'm from. I went to UC Berkeley.
0: Oh, cool, cool. And yeah, how was that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, Berkeley's uh Berkeley's
0: kind of crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, especially from a very conservative background to this like liberal hotbed of just
0: super liberal, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So I'd like to think I'm I'm fairly moderate, you know, kind of those two contrasting uh, experiences. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, it was it was really great. I, I really enjoyed, you know, really interesting professors, and um, I think it was also a time. Where I wasn't quite sure what to major in Asian studies seemed like a good fix I was like oh I want to go back to China maybe this will help I'll learn Chinese learn about China um, but then a lot of my papers kind of focused in about international adoption and, um, and it was mm-hmm. neat to see the support from my professors and from other peers and um, just kind of reading a lot of uh, research papers and, and stuff during that time yeah
0: yeah well you know, so uh, it sounds like you well, had kind of a focus on international adoption what was what were your big papers and stuff that you kind of looked at there
1: yeah, um oh gosh, it was it was just such an interesting like insight. Like I guess looking at like how globalization has, like, influenced international adoption mm-hmm. and um, the idea of, like, Korean adoptions and how that kind of paved the way for all these other countries to to do international adoptions. Um, the idea of, like, diasporas and, like, how these different subgroups and communities can exist. And, um, yeah, I had some really interesting conversations with one professor and, like, trying to kind of make this case that adoptees are, like, our own little diaspora group and, um, and just... Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, and so I, I've read a lot about Korean adoptees and adoptions and kind of the history behind that. And it's been really cool to kind of see, like, the community. And um, uh, I feel like Korean adoptees are, are fairly outspoken um and that they they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're doing a lot of stuff some of them stuff. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and and i think it gives me a lot of like excitement or hope for kind of like what chinese adoptees will do and mm-hmm. you know like you said it's different cases different countries um but i i hope that we can make maybe as as much of an impact as you guys have made on kind of international international adoptions and education yeah
0: well i hope so yeah i mean yeah i was telling um Katie Holtz. Katie Holtz. I was telling Katie Holtz, uh, you know, you guys are like the up and comers. So, you know, we're all the Korean adoptees are getting older and stuff. And she was asking me when, you know, all these authors and podcasters and people are Chinese adoptees. When When is it going to be their time? And I was like, I'm sure it's coming up soon. If you got people working on their MSWs or applying to work on their MSWs already, <laughs> like you guys are the next generation, really. So I'm sure it's right around the corner for you guys. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like there's kind of like as the generation of Chinese adoptees kind of are getting older, there's more of a a buzz for that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I think it's interesting and this is just my own kind of like theory here, but I I wonder if like in some sense like for Korean adoptees since they grew up kind of in a in a place or a time where like race wasn't considered quite as much wasn't talked about there wasn't really any of these like forerunners that they almost had to make a bigger splash to get some attention Mm. Um, and then for us Chinese adoptees we're kind of following in your shadow a little bit and so there's been a lot more discussion a lot more discourse and so I wonder if it almost like pushes the pedal back a little bit where we're not quite as I don't know what the right word is for it but it's like there's not as much of an urgency for us to speak up about stuff Mm. because like there has been more talk about it for us growing up along the way. Does that does that make sense at all?
0: No. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. But I, you know, I, I again, I feel that Chinese adoptees, while they might have a similar experience in how they were raised and everything, there are definitely differences in their relationship with their government or adoption agencies, and there's a lot of room uh, to explore different issues that are specific to Chinese adoptions and Chinese adoptees. Hmm. The race issues are probably going to be very similar. The relationship with families is probably going to be similar, especially in places where there are probably you know where where you grew up, where there weren't a whole lot of uh, diversity, uh, despite being near an epicenter of diversity. Um, I'm sure there are Chinese adoptees that are also you know <laughs> adopted to places in like Minnesota or some random place in Iowa <laughs> that feel very isolated and share a lot of similar similarities with. Koreans or any other children of color that were kind of grew up in those areas without a whole lot of diversity, but there's definitely room to explore. And I I feel like Chinese adoptees definitely, uh, should have like a community like CCI that they feel safe to share their experiences, uh, with.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's a good point too, about like with doing stuff, um, maybe with the Chinese government, um, that, that, yeah, there's definitely more, more areas to explore, you know,
0: how was kind of the adoption landscape in China and your experience changed since they moved from the one child policy to two child policy? Like, cause I, that was, I assume one of the major drivers of international adoption from China prior to that. Is that, do you feel like that has kind of shifted since then?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, it's been interesting being here when that kind of policy came out. Um, to be honest, it hasn't really had a big impact or a big influence. I feel that families and individuals are so accustomed to having one child that I don't think it's going to make a big difference, that mm. it's so expensive to raise children. And obviously, education is so important, but then it's so expensive. Having two children, you divide resources, which is just really tough. Um, it's been interesting. Like I think over the past time that I've been like seeing how I think there's been a real surge in Orphanages being full with like special needs kids and children with disabilities. And so, yeah, so I, I think like a little bit of a shift in demographics from, you know, abandonment for like one child policy because you're a girl to abandonment because of special needs disabilities. Mm. Um, I, I was adopted as a special needs child. And so I think that that has been another interesting area of focus and kind of seeing like, yeah, what do like disabilities look like? look like here and like how do how do people accommodate that how do people adapt to that and to be honest in Beijing you know it's the most advanced city in be- in China and there's like no room there's no space for people with disabilities there's no you know we don't have it was so interesting being in Berkeley where it's like it's so wheelchair accessible it's so um just integrated in that sense. And I had never Mm -hmm. really seen that before. And then coming to Beijing where it should be this modern city and very like egalitarian. Um, But then people are just in such a rush that it's like someone who, you know, needs help getting onto a bus like that would never happen like it did in Berkeley. Um, So I think the one child policy has like been a huge factor, but then there's also like the shift between Yeah, now we just want like healthy, strong children. Um.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to kind of understand if there was because, yeah, resources are constrained. It's hard on families to raise more than one kid. It doesn't sound like, but I'm curious if there was any kind of push for domestic adoptions vice international adoptions. But it sounds like no. It sounds like if you Mm. have a special needs child that they kind of just go to the orphanage.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I had a friend here who is doing like a Fulbright scholarship about domestic adoption. It was really interesting to hear her stories. Um, I I think there's more uh, domestic adoption than we probably are aware of that just kind of happens a little bit more like, you know, if another family takes in a child. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's more commonplace. There's a lot of, from what I've heard, a lot of shame, I think associated with that, um, um, that no one talks about it, that if you were adopted into a domestic family, like you never tell anyone, they don't tell their extended family. Um, and so that's kind of part of a culture within domestic adoption here. Um, and then regarding like the special needs too, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's very hard on families. And of course, there are stories where families like, uh, like, champion or like triumph over like a special need but at the same time I think that there's also the assumption that oh, maybe they would just be better off if they go to an orphanage and can be adopted somewhere else where they have the resources and in a lot of ways I've seen like special needs kids who've been adopted into the states and they're able to get all of this incredible like therapy and like um mm. and support and services that just doesn't exist in China and so if they had grown up in China like yeah they, they may have ended up on the streets and that's heartbreaking but then it's like then something else needs to change. It shouldn't just be then like, well, we should all funnel the kids out of China that like things right. within China, social sector, um, something needs to give there.
0: Yeah, I know there, in Korea, there's large pushes right now for, well, maybe not large enough, but it's starting to gain some momentum about like support for single mothers and support for children born out of wedlock and those kinds of things. I mean, is, are you seeing any shift in China along those lines about support for yeah single mothers or support for special needs children? Or is this kind of like, Still, like the domestic adoptions, like a shame that they don't talk about.
1: Yeah, I think it's still like domestic adoptions. Just there's like so many other things going on in China that they don't have like time, they don't have space, they want to grow bigger, they want to grow better they want to become this rightful superpower in the world that everything like socially that needs to kind of be adjusted or changed like is kind of pushed to the back burner mm. i mean domestic abuse is something that they like have barely started to talk about and enact laws against um you know women's protection laws and it's like oh my gosh right. like that should be something that should be a given um and, and so yeah it's just a little <laughs> a lot of those social um social factors
0: yeah well it sounds like <clears throat> at least they're trying to, uh, to move forward and progress in those kind of lines at least a little bit or you know, at face value anyways. So you kind of had mentioned yeah, also that you're coming to the end of your, uh, your tour there over there in China uh, and you want to kind of use this as a time capsule as well to kind of look back on on <laughs> the time that you have all still fresh in your memory, right? So uh, what kind of <laughs> things that are you thinking about now are you, as you reflect upon your time there in China?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that time capsule. Um. Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's just been a really cool experience to, in a sense, like be able to live and work in Beijing and like kind of have this like feeling of like, wow, like I- I've done it. I have been able to come back, be successful. Um, And not that it's some kind of like I'm trying to prove something, but a little bit to myself, like proving that I can make it Um, in America and in China. Um, and so I think it's just it's just a lot of pride, you know, and like being able to come back to the states and be like, Yeah, I've lived and I've worked in Beijing, and it's a fantastic city. Obviously, there's a lot of things that still need to change and to grow, But I am really proud of the place that I come from, and i'm I'm proud to hold both of those identities, and i and I think that I can maybe help support, like, other adoptees who have questions about China or about what it means to to grow up or to live there. Um, so I think that's always been kind of something in the back of my own mind and my own, like, this alternative narrative, like, oh, my gosh, like, what if I had stayed in China? Like, who would I be? What kind of person? And obviously, I'm a very different person than if I had grown up here, but being able to live here is kind of, I think, given me a small taste of maybe that experience. Um, And so I'm very grateful for that. And um, And I think it's been very, like, Little bit full circle. It's a little cheesy, a little cliche, um, but but I think meaningful for me nonetheless. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. I've definitely felt that way when I was leaving Korea that, you know, I did it and it was, it's, it was very emotional kind of like leaving the place that you originated from and the feeling that you get kind of returning to from one home to another home, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, are you looking, what are you kind of looking forward to once you come back to the States?
1: Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to, I think, getting more involved in, in the adoption community. I wasn't very involved, like, before I left, and then kind of, like, here and there while I'm in Beijing, um, but I, I guess it's just, it's been interesting, like, keeping up with the news, and obviously with the elections, and um, everything that's going on, and, like, I feel like American society right now is really fraught. Um, there's just a lot of tension, and a lot just, I don't know, like yeah, it's pulled, it's being pulled in all these different directions. And I'm really excited, I think, to come back and try to be a part of like, hoping to ease that tension, I guess. Um, and obviously, it's a very specific field, you know, working in like international adoptions. But even within that, like being able to do some kind of like, support or, um, yeah, like validation of people's feelings and experiences. And and I think that we don't necessarily have enough of that. We're like, I don't know. We spend so much time, like, kind of maybe critiquing or judging from a place of not understanding or not empathy, and I just want to be able to, yeah, like, share those ideals a little bit more. And so, I think it'll be really cool. I'm sure it'll be tough. Um, i I know America's changed a lot in the past couple of years, and it's a little, a little nerve wracking. Like, oh dear, what, what are we coming home to? <laughs> um, but, but I'm excited to be there and to help build something, you know, and to be, yeah, contributing to something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are you planning on going back to uh, to California, or what's what? Where do you want to go?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So I applied to New York University. Um. And Very then nice. I'm going to apply to Cal Berkeley. Yep. And so I'll probably end up on one of the coasts. So either yeah, either east or west.
0: All right. Well, if you uh, end up in the East Coast, uh, what, what is your timeline for that? What are you looking at? When are you moving back exactly?
1: Yeah, it'd probably be in August.
0: Oh, August, next I'm August. Thinking. Yeah. yeah. you got a while. you got a little while. But if (laughs) you end up in New York, either of those places, there are definitely robust adoptee communities in in both the California and New York areas that (laughs) you could join. And uh, there's plenty of adoptees that you could share uh, your story with uh, like you did just now and also that you could probably help out as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Yep.
0: All right. Well, keep us updated on uh, where, you're, where you're going and we'll try to hook you up with the, the right people to talk to and the community that you can just jump into, not just a uh, five-person WeChat group. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. And where can people find you online? Are you open to people finding you on social media other than, uh, than WeChat? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook um, or, or send me an email, um, macklin.kelsey at gmail.
0: All right, and and, well, for the Chinese adoptees who are thinking about going over to visit China at some point, what is the WeChat group? Is is there a title for it or is it just like a group chat?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, it's called International Adoptees in Beijing, so it's a little bit vague, but you can add me on WeChat at KelseyM777 and I can definitely get you connected. So yeah, reach out to me.
0: All right, well, you can be the liaison then for all the people coming in (laughs) unofficial because there's no group yet. But, you know, you never know. Stay tuned, everybody.
1: (laughs) Stay tuned, yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story and uh, sitting down to chat with me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you.
0: All right, I appreciate it. Have a good night. All right, and that was my conversation with Kelsey Macklin. I want to thank Kelsey for coming on the show to share her time with me. Uh, It's Monday morning over there in China right now, so uh, I appreciate it. And yes, it is indeed snowing in Beijing and here in uh, Rockland County, New York at least. Uh, It's surprising. Surprising snow. Surprise snow. Snow surprise. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for listening very much. If you like the show, please rate it on iTunes. Subscribe to it. Review it. You can also check it out on Google Play, Podbean, and SoundCloud. The last two episodes are always up on SoundCloud for free. All of the episodes are actually for free, and I appreciate your listenership. If you would like to be a guest of The Rambler, please send me an email at therambleradhd at gmail.com, or if you know somebody who might be interested, uh, you can also maybe cc them, send me an email, and say, hey, you might be interested in talking to this person. They have a very interesting story, and I appreciate that. You can also like my Facebook page and uh, chat me up there uh, at that facebookcom therambleradhd. And finally, I have a Twitter, a Twitter page that I tweet from and stuff, and that's on at uh, therambleradhd is my handle. And you can DM me there as well if you know or would like to be on the show, or if you know somebody who would like to be on the show. And you can find my musings on there as well. I have many musings that you can you can find on the Twitter. Uh, what else? Music today provided by the Bell and Needle Drop Records, as well as a collective effort there on SoundCloud. Both of those bands are on SoundCloud and a collective effort. I don't know if you guys know this. Well, this is the reason why I use a collective effort, uh, is because they are an all adoptee band, uh, that were out in Korea. They, they're out of Seoul. And so I highly recommend, uh, yeah, uh, a collective effort, uh, on SoundCloud. You can check them out there. Uh, Yeah. I also continue to recommend This Is Us. Check it out. Check out This Is Us. Have you guys watched that movie Arrival? Did you? <laughs> this is a non sequitur. Arrival. Did you see it? It was awesome. I, I can't recommend that movie enough. Uh, I think it's probably, you know, it's the kickoff for the Oscar season. And I think it's, I think it's worthy. I think it's a worthy story and fantastic acting uh, for an Oscar. And I'll tell you what, um, it's a highly effective movie and I'll, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to spoil anything, all right? There's a little bit of a spoiler in that movie, uh, unless you've read the, uh, the short story that was based on, uh, called I Believe the Story of Your Life, but you should definitely check out that movie. And I want to read a letter from another podcast that I listen to called Slash Film, which is usually a film review site. Uh, I'll read a, a fan letter to them about Arrival next week, but you have to have seen it, so I'll give you guys a week to go out and watch Arrival before I spoil some stuff next week and read this letter, because it actually got me choked up. Actually, I I cried in my car, sadly. Uh, I've been very emotional lately. Does anybody else feel emotional and tired and a little raw? I do. I do. I hope this conversation with uh, Kelsey helped you out. Uh, it helped me out. I, I like having conversations like this and fun, engaging conversations with fellow adoptees where we can talk and commiserate together and laugh together as well. I think it's really all about that. Listen, you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your family and friends. Find something to be thankful for and really celebrate that. All right? I'm serious. Take some time. Take some time for yourself this week. I will talk to you guys next week. I'm out. 100 days 100 nights But no one